going to take a detour. It's a detour that leads to Jonah, but first we're going to head to the book of James. And I want you to go over there with me to chapter 1 of the book of James. We're going to look at a couple of verses in that first chapter today, and that will be our kickoff for the rest of this uh, message. But James chapter 1, if you would, go there with me, and let's all stand again. I know you just, you just were standing, but stand one more time. Honor God's Word this morning. Man, isn't it great to be in the house of God this morning? Isn't it great? Yeah, it's awesome to serve the living God. It really is. Listen to this. He says in James chapter 1, verse 22, these words, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Pray with me. Father, thanks for your word. By the power of your spirit, may you deeply speak to our hearts today. Lord, collectively as a church about obedience and individually, as families and individuals, Lord, speak to us. May we understand that obedience really does equal blessings. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Today, as we end our service, we will be uh, ending the service with the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we're not very good at at the Oaks. I'm going to ask you to do it in real reverence stillness and quietness in other words i'm going to ask you not to talk until you leave the building okay and right after that we're having a business meeting in here anyway right so you have to come back in but anyway i want to ask you to do that join me in just having a very reverent uh, time as we have the lord's table and that we would just really honor that time to reflect and really think about him And we'll give you that opportunity in just a little bit. What difference can one person make? What difference can one person make? You ever pondered that? You ever wondered that about your own life? What do I really matter? Can I really make a difference? Well, the answer to that question is emphatically yes. In fact, you look at scriptures and you have people like like, uh, Moses coming on the scene. And Moses is this incredible individual that becomes the emancipator of his people. Israel sets them free. God uses him to set the people free from Egypt. He uses him to be a mouthpiece. And the voice of one becomes emphatically important. We read stories like Nehemiah, and I'm going to be in the book of Nehemiah later when we start talking about vision for our church because it's such a book that's given to that topic. But we'll be talking about vision a lot, and I'll be talking about the road that the Oaks has never traveled. I sure hope you'll join me for that, but it has to do with a little bit of the highway stuff that's going on, but not really. I'm going to be talking about the spiritual road that we have not traveled before. We've never been on the road that we're getting ready to go on. And I know sometimes that can scare us, but we are going to be traveling on a road that we have not traveled on before. And then Nehemiah, I want to talk to you about that. Nehemiah has this vision from God. Nehemiah 
is so broken about the broken walls of Jerusalem and the lack of the people being there and Jerusalem being all that it was meant to be that there's something amazing that happens. He sees the ruins and he's called to prayer. And then he does something. He's the king's cupbearer. And he asks God to allow him to lead this charge there in Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. And God uses the rebuilding of the wall to bring about what we read about in Ezra a little further, a revival that broke out in the people of God. And now we come to a story like today with Jonah, where Jonah has been told by God to go preach to a pagan city, not a Jewish state, to a pagan city and call them to repentance and tell them that if they don't repent, God's going to destroy Nineveh. Did he obey it? He didn't, did he? Like a lot of prophets here and there, they have their moments of disobedience. His disobedience led to getting swallowed by a great big fish. And he was in the belly of that fish or in that reserved area that God had specially prepared this fish to hold him for three days and three nights. And then, whoop. The Bible says that while he was in the fish, he prayed. <laughs> what would you do if you can't pray then? Something's desperately wrong with you, right? I mean, if you can't pray when you are down in the depths of the sea and you're inside a fish, and I wonder if he ever thought he was ever going to get out, but by his prayer we hear that God does give him a second chance. And God emphatically tells Jonah, the Israelites, people throughout the Scripture, and you here today, what's the importance of one? You're extremely important to God. God loves you with an everlasting love. God has made incredible investments in his own son and the gospel for you to have a relationship with him. God has, he loves you, he cares about you, and one can make a difference. You need to remember that. Recently, we had a congressional race that was won. If I remember, it was Congress, Senate, I can't remember which, and uh, I wasn't going to refer to that, so I don't have it in my notes, but we had, it, it was won by one vote. Somebody went to Washington, somebody stayed home because one person voted. One person counts. One person counts. Do you know you count? You know you can be in this metroplex of 7.3 or 4 million people. It may be 8 million before it's all said and done in a few more years. We are in this massive metroplex, the fourth largest in the United States, and here you can drive around and just feel like you're this itty-bitty little peon that doesn't count and you don't matter in the traffic uh, flow and at work. You just feel, that, it's easy to feel like that. But there's a God in heaven that loves you, made you, and he doesn't make any junk. He's got an incredible plan for your life. Have you heard that one before? He really does. He's got an incredible plan for your life. I want you to see something. Chuck Swindoll, our neighboring, uh, our, my, my neighboring pastor, I'll just put it that way. Uh, he said something that is a prayer that he prays when he feels like his heart is getting out of tune with 
God the Father, and really shining for Jesus Christ. He said he prays this prayer. Listen to this. Lord, I'm willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require, and Lord, if others are to be a messenger to me, I'm willing to hear and heed what they have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. That's an incredible prayer, isn't it? That really is. That's God's, I mean, literally telling God, whatever, whenever, here I am. I'm totally available, right? That's what, he, that's what he's praying there. He says that he's just learned to do that through the years. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We're going to look at that, all right? I want to share with you three, three thoughts this morning, and here's the first one. Here's the first one. Jonah finally, chapter 3, turn with me there. Jonah finally does what God told him to do. Like a little kid, your parents will bless you if you obey them, right? They will. Check this out. It tells us uh, in the passage this morning that Jonah did what he was supposed to do. Is that the testimony he's had the first two chapters? No. This is a wonderful example to us of someone partially living for the Lord. They get a message from God they don't really like. Have you ever been in a junction of your life where you just didn't, you didn't understand God, you didn't understand what he's doing in your life, and you didn't really agree with it? Anybody in here honest enough to raise your hand and admit that? I'm going to raise two. I'm raising two hands. You know why? There have just been times in my life I'm like, God, what, what are you doing? This is not the plan that Barry Jude had for his life. You ever feel like that? This is not what I planned on, the way I planned on doing it. And it could be, it could be anything from your vocational uh, calling to, to going to school to, to uh, what you're, uh, you know, who, who you date, who you, who you end up marrying, all those things. I mean, we just need to give it all to God, don't we? But there have been times I've scratched my head and I'm going, this was not on the Barry Jude life plan. You ever get there? Sure. What do you do in those times? You obey God anyway. That's what you do. Even if you just understand it a little, just a little by little by little, you still just obey it. Check this out. Jonah did what he was supposed to do. Well, it just took him, it took his right life being wrecked, almost wrecking a ship and and having those people perish with him. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, now we're going to have some fun. He says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Has God ever talked to you more than once? Guilty. Yeah. Why? Because sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we're uh, obstinate. We're resistant. We're stubborn. God says something and we're like, no, God, that's, that's really not what I wanted to do with this part of my life. You ever, you ever be there? I mean, it could just go on and on, the list there, but God's word came. God is a God of second chances. Have you figured that out? He is a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances and fourth chances. It's an incredible thing. The Bible says here, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Scholars, if you will look that up and look into some studies about that, they tell us that it had about 120,000 residents. Jonah himself says that a couple of times in the scriptures here, or God says it to him. That's a pretty good-sized city back in that day that we're reading. It's a pretty large city. They tell us that it may have been anywhere from three to six miles of width and height that it might take. And and you talk about narrow streets and so forth. You know, the idea is that it may take you about a day. If you were trying to communicate something, it may take you about a day to walk about a third of it. And as it says in this passage, uh, that if, if it was three three miles, it may have taken that much space for him to proclaim all day. This is all day preaching, man. This is a preacher's paradise, you know. It's just that you're preaching a message you may not be real tickled about preaching, but here he is. He's doing it. He's obeying the Lord. So Jonah seizes this opportunity after God hit him upside the head, but Jonah seizes this opportunity And God sent his word a second time. King David had to have God talk to him. Latter part of his life, he really did some messing up. All kinds of uh, sin was, was in his life, and he just really got away from being a man after God's own heart, and he suffered for that, but God spoke to him again. You may remember the stories found in Scripture, Samson, even when we have that wonderful story of, of him uh, come, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a comeback story. God talking to him again, giving him power and strength again. You see, God's in the, in the business of helping you again and again and again because we're so fallible, aren't we? We're human. We make mistakes. We fall away. We have moments we're hot and moments that we're cold. And sometimes we're just in between. And we're not really either place, are we? Check this out. The Bible tells us that Jonah sensed his obligation. So it says on verse 4 that on the first day Jonah started in the city, he proclaimed this message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days and Nineveh would be overturned. If you showed up as a visiting evangelist in a city, do you think that this is going to be well received? You're telling everybody that they're a mess and they need to turn away from their, their ways. There's some people just not, aren't going to receive that. You see, in fact, when we share the gospel, sometimes you get upset because somebody gets upset. It's confrontational. We're confronting that we need help, that we need a Savior, and that you cannot do it yourself. You can't be good enough. So the gospel by its nature is confrontational. I love what O.S. Hawkins wrote. O.S. Hawkins uh, helped me immensely on one of my chapters in my dissertation. And uh, he was in Florida, and I was in Florida then too. And uh, anyway, he's now the uh, CEO of our Guidestone Retirement and our insurance center that, that's here, it's based right here in Dallas, in the Dallas area. But he wrote this about Jonah. He wrote a great little book on Jonah. You want to read a great read. He wrote a book on Jonah, and it's called The God of Second Chance. Jonah's message, he said, was not some compromising, watered-down, mamby-pamby, candy-coated sermonette. He talks about it was all the Word of God. That Whatever God said... Now Jonah, finally now Jonah, is going to say, thus saith the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us that that's what we are supposed to do. One of the great passages about the Lord's Supper is found in Matthew chapter, or I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. 
And it begins with these words. Paul says, For what I received from the Lord is what I also passed on to you. Is that not a job description of a pastor right there, a preacher of the Word of God? That what we have received, what we've understood, what we've studied, that we pass that on to who? To you. You. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. I am compelled to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Any, any, any minister worth his salt, any pastor worth his salt, any proclaimer of the word of God, that's really worth their salt. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what changes men, women, boys, and girls. It's what separates us from all other, all other organizations on planet earth besides the church. It is what separates us. The gospel is what makes us complete. It's what saves us. It's the power of, uh, of God being exposed just in that way. Well, Jonah finally obeys the Lord. Everybody give Jonah a round of applause. All right, ready? That is without enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, he deserves applause. Obedience deserves applause from God's people. We should, we should amen that, encourage people, amen. It just took him a while to get there. And we're going to read in next, the next chapter why he got so upset and he didn't obey God. He had a motive in his heart that he was concerned. In fact, he just knew God was going to do something and that he was going to have egg on his face. Anyway, we'll, we'll go into that next week. The Ninevites did what they were supposed to do. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to repent, weren't they? In the passage, it tells us that the Ninevites experienced faith. These are not Jewish people. They experienced faith. Yeah, God cares. You can take the Old Testament and show very clearly that God cares about all people. He was in covenant with Israel. Israel had a special place in his heart, remained special in that being the Old Testament covenant people. God has things that he's promised through Israel. They will all come true because God said. But I'm going to tell you something. You can take the Old Testament and show people that God emphatically loves them and cares about them. How many of you remember the story of Amos? And Amos starts telling the story about Judah and then it, and Israel, and he uh, identifies. God uses the prophet to identify the sins of the lands that are around Judah and Israel. Does anybody remember that? God was watching all people. God is watching all people. God cares about all people. God loves people, doesn't he? He just happened to be in covenant with Israel. Nineveh experiences faith. The Ninevites believed God, it tells us in verse 5. Check this out. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by what? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, by the word of Christ, by the word of Christ. Here the word was preached, and what happened? Faith erupted from the Ninevites' heart, and they said, we don't want to be destroyed. We'll turn to the living God. We'll follow him. So what they do? They repented. They really did repent. The Ninevites exercised a fast. They declared a fast, and all of them, look at the language. We're talking about all 120,000 people. Don't know if the children were included in that, but we can, we can just assume they were. 
greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And fasting is that voluntarily that voluntary time where you couple that with prayer in your life. And it's a spiritual discipline that we see taught in Scripture. And here they're using it as a time of repentance. They're using it to show their repentance. Uh, typical uh, putting on of sackcloth to show that they were in mourning. And they were mourning about their spiritual condition, their sinfulness. And the Bible tells us and records for us all kinds of incredible things. But fasting is that voluntary denial of food in order to, face, to, to uh, seek the face of God and that we seek Him with earnestness and uh, that we're uh, so focused and persistent and we're just believing in prayer. So it's always coupled with prayer for us. But in the Old Testament, we have uh, the Israelites fasting in Judges 20. We have Saul uh, and uh, the military fasting over uh, Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 1. King David was a regular uh, participant in fasting, but you can record one of those in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nehemiah, you may remember when he saw the ruins, God just broke his heart and he began to fast over the condition of his nation and their relationship with God. The Jews fasted for Queen Esther. Remember before Mordecai uh, had, had talked to her and, and they prayed and fasted so that she would have courage to go before the king and that God would protect her. You may remember many other examples. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted by the evil one. There's some great lessons that come out of that. But one of the things that you should remember, because in Matthew chapter 6, where God starts talking to us about our prayer life, and we have that incredible, that we call, uh, we should just call it the disciples' prayer. But we have that prayer of Jesus where he shows us this is how you should pray. And it begins with, our Father, which art in heaven. You may remember in that chapter, he tells us right before that about when you fast, when you fast, a continuation, an assumption that the church of Jesus Christ will continue to pray and fast as a discipline before the Lord. So anyway, the early, the early church of Acts, there were many examples uh, there. But the Ninevites evicted this filth that was in their lives. Look at verse 8 and 9. Forty days and forty nights, Nineveh will be overturned, it says in chapter 3, verse 4. But if you come on down, here's something you can always see. Repentance looks like a clear pattern each time it happens. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Repentance always has three components to it if it's real, if it's biblical repentance. How do you know if you repent? Well, listen up. First of all, repentance will always have a change that takes place in our attitude. You ever have somebody around you and you're like, man, they need an attitude adjustment. You ever feel like that? Sure. Sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. I remember when I was playing defensive back at Liberty University, Coach Ross would say, attitude check. And you didn't want to do what came next, believe me. But it was about humility. And it was about getting your mind right and getting focused again. But anyway, uh, I remember those when he would, I mean, it, to this day, it still haunts me. And uh, change of attitude. That's intellectual, isn't it? Isn't that on the intellectual side for all of us? that to have a change of mind is really a change of intellectual attitude towards something? 
you have a change of thinking. Second, notice this, real repentance always has a change of affection. If your mind changes, it will be followed, or it can even work the other way, where your heart, your heart, when we say heart, our emotions, our affections are changed. You start caring about things you didn't care about just a little bit ago. And third of all, it will always result in a change of action, won't it? A change of action. You see, you know how you know when you've repented of something because you don't do it anymore. You stop and you take on a new action path. Also, you know this. I'm going to give you an example in the Bible so you can kind of see this more clearly. The Bible tells us about the prodigal son. How do I know he repented? Because we can read it plain as day in Scripture. It tells us that he came to himself, that he came to himself. He had a changing of mind. He had decided that he was going to get his inheritance, and what was he going to do? He was going to go off in the far country and live just like he wanted to. Well, how well did that go for him? When we, when we pick him up, he's doing what? He's having food with the pigs. He's in the pig pen, taking care of the pigs. To a Jew, that would be extreme, extremely disgusting. That was an animal you were to have nothing to do with. You weren't supposed to eat it. And uh, so that was disgusting. That's what he's doing. And he comes to himself. Isn't that amazing? God's got him in a timeout. God's got him in a, in a time of correction, and he comes to himself. Check this out. It goes on to say that he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger. See, his heart was changed. Uh, His affections, his thoughts are now being altered. And then listen, last of all, what does he do? After he goes through that cycle of a change of mind, he came to himself. He looks at how his father treated even the servants And he said, they have it better than I do. And he does what? Change. Here's the repentance. He changes this direction and he goes back towards the Father, doesn't he? I will go to my, what? Back to my Father's house. You see? Repentance always has those three qualities to it. It has those three dynamics involved in true repentance. It's so important. Last of all, let me just share with you, and it's real important. I want to drive this really, really home. Jonah did what he was supposed to. The Ninevites did what they were supposed to. They repented. Jonah preached the message that God sent him to the people that he was supposed to preach it to. And here, last of all, let me share with you, because if you don't get this, you miss the whole message. This is so important. I'm going to take a drink. And I just made all of you thirsty. We'll have communion in just a little bit. God, God always, always, always does what he's supposed to do. God always does what he's supposed to do. Check this out. You come down in verse uh, 8 and 9, it says, But God, but, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone, everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger that 
that we will not perish. Isn't that an incredible statement? You know, God's a God that's a God of mercy. You know that? The Old Testament, you can take passage after passage and talk about the mercy of God. I'm thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. It says, the Lord, your God is merciful. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 9 that God is gracious and he's a merciful God. It's so important we understand that. God loves to forgive us. Do you know that? He loves to forgive us. Check this out. It says in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he did what? He had what? He had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Isn't that incredible? God always does what he says he'll do. You can take that to the bank. You can live your life by it. Listen, whatever's going on in your life, you need to remember that principle. God, if he says it, he'll do it. That's that. God says it, he'll do it. Whatever he says he'll do, he'll do. And here in this passage, we hear just that very thing. God tells us that he's a forgiving God, doesn't he? The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. And what? Cleanse us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to share something with you in closing today. I want to borrow from another story. The story is the story of Abraham and Sarah. God promised that he was going to bless them and that from their offspring it would be like the stars in the universe, the sands on the seashore, the little grains, that, that plentitous. He said that they would, there would be a great nation that arises. And you may remember they got off detour because they waited a long time. When you're about 100 and one's 90, you kind of think your baby days are over. But not with God. God does the impossible. He does. And God, they took a detour and, and boy, oh boy, did, did trouble come to the world through, through that child. Uh, I mean, you have this child conceived, the brother of Israel, that is Ishmael. Through Hagar, Hagar his, uh, um, Sarah's servant. But I want to tell you, that child did come. Isaac, this incredible child, this gift from God, did come. And I want to pick up the story right there and remind you, this is recorded for us in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. I want you to think about the faith this man had to exhibit, had to have, and this obedience that looked like it was going to cost him his own child. Watch this video. Lord, we'll 
provide a sacrifice, my son. Did Abraham take a lamb? No, mistress. Abraham has passed the ultimate test. He will become the father of God's nation. Now it's up to Isaac. He will have a son called Jacob. God will rename him 
Israel. The promise of descendants as numerous as the stars is coming true. Isn't it amazing? God told Abraham to take his one and only son of promise. Oh, he had another son, but not with Sarah. His one and only son. And if you read Genesis chapter 22, it's like reading the gospel. It really is. The Bible tells us that the gospel was preached in ways like that. Obedience equals blessing. Obedience equals blessing. Obedience equals blessing. Here's what happens. This is what God will always do where he finds obedience. That's what we have to produce more and more of a harvest of as God's people, as a church, as families, and as individuals. Today, God may be asking you to prepare your heart. And if you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ, you, you literally saw the gospel presented. God gave up his one and only son that you may have life.